there is a point where we need to be able to stand against the evils that are happening in the government. And I feel, I feel that for me, this is definitely that moment. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Freedom Feature. I'm your host, Barry Bussey. With me today, I have Marco Kolich. Marco comes to us from British Columbia. And Marco, it's great to have you on our program. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. And I'm happy to be here. You, tell me, Marco, can, can you just uh, share with our audience a little bit about your background? Sure. Uh, I grew up, uh, actually, I was born in, in France. I came to Canada at a young age, at the young tender age of four. Okay. And uh, I grew up in a mostly English-speaking part of Canada, British Columbia. So I don't have a uh, French accent, as you can hear. Mais je peux toujours parler français. Oh. Alors, ça c'est bien. Uh, so I kept my French, and uh, I'm a kind of a sneaky Frenchman, so to speak. <laughs> and, well, uh, you know, <laughs> let, let, let me just say, that is so awesome. I... You know, one of my life goals, uh, I guess, especially as be growing up in Canada, where French was prominent in every uh, nick and corner, as it were, of every place that I've gone, yeah. and uh, certainly in the media, I always wanted to learn French. I'm trying a little bit right now on Duolingo, but that's about as far as I'm getting. Yeah, well, I, I did it the easy way. I was born into it and uh, yeah. surrounded by it, and my, I spoke French with uh, my mom and dad at home. And then Wonderful. I spoke, I spoke English when I went to school. I had two kindergarten classes when I was a kid, so which I didn't mind. It was actually kind of fun. Okay, <laughs> well, that's great. So tell us, Marco, what about um, uh, what is your career now? Um, so currently, I'm working for Correctional Services Canada. Uh, mm -hmm. I work in the in administration. Um, I'm an admin assistant. Uh, mostly dealing with uh, records and that type of thing is, is my work. But it, you know, we kind of shift around in the office depending on what the needs are. Right. And um, I started my work with the Federal Public Service in 2015. I initially started with uh, Citizenship and Immigration, moved to the Immigration Refugee Board, and then from there moved to uh, Corrections. So I've been kind of in the quasi-legal uh, judicial areas of um, of the federal public service since 2015. Wow, that's awesome. So, yeah, uh, did you take in your undergrad uh, any kind of legal studies at all, or? Uh, no, actually, my undergrad was a. I got a BA in religion uh, from in 2005 from Canadian University College, which is now called uh, Berman University. It's in Alberta, in okay. Lacombe. And after that, I went. And in 2009 is when I got my uh, Master's of Divinity from Andrews University uh, Seminary, Theological oh. Seminary. Okay, so so, uh, so here it is. <laughs> you served, uh, you did studies then on religion, and you end up in correctional services. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, sometimes the Lord takes you in a in a different way, and some things don't work out one way. So, you know, you got to eat, so you have yes. to work. <laughs> and uh you know i have to take care of my wife and you just some sometimes i don't know god just leads in a certain direction and uh and here i am 
Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so tell us what was the experience like for you um, going through the COVID crisis, especially as a, a public servant? Well, it was um, it was less than pleasant. I'll put it I'll put it that way, especially towards the end of uh, 2021. So initially, you know, um, different places reacted to it uh, differently. Uh, because we're in corrections, we're kind of considered <clears throat> something of a first responder in a sense. Mm -hmm. And because we deal with people who uh, may have some sensitivities to to disease and that type of thing, you know, we have to be a, be careful in that kind of environment. So for us, you know, it was taken very seriously and everyone took it very seriously. Um, and we had certain measures that started becoming to put in place. For example, there was that first... Um, mostly social distancing and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, hand washing, that type of thing. We would be careful with uh, what we handled and make sure that it was clean, that type of thing. And then mm -hmm. it went from there to having to wear the mask. Um, and then it went from there to having to wear a mask and a face shield. And then, you know, the face shield kind of was kind of dropped off. And then eventually we were heading into, uh, 2021 there in, um, in August, or I think it was, I think it was July that it was announced. I think I don't remember if it was July or August that the federal government decided that everyone had to be forcibly uh, tested and and vaccinated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, so you decided not to be vaccinated, did you? Or? Yes, that's uh, that's correct. Uh, I decided two things. Number one, I was not going to be tested, and I was not going to be vaccinated that neither one of those things were necessary for myself on a health level. And they were also uh, infringement for myself on a religious level. So what had developed uh, from our, within uh, corrections, now I can speak about corrections. I'm not sure how exactly it, it went out in other departments, but in corrections, we had a, uh, a form that was created and a, uh, a link what we were sent in an email to to sign up and give a declaration as to whether or not we were vaccinated and uh, and and other information belonging to that, and if we wanted to claim a religious exemption or a religious accommodation, mm. uh, there were others. There was another section I think available that was uh, other accommodations as well, such as medical. I think was also on there as well. And uh, I elected because of my beliefs and um, because of what I had studied and read and understood from scripture and science that I was not going to be neither tested nor vaccinated. And uh, I applied for a religious exemption or accommodation and, of course, was denied and then put on leave without pay. Okay, now this is interesting because um, here you have a situation where you've got an undergraduate degree in religion. Mm -hmm. uh, you have a master's degree. You say you were at the seminary. So that yeah. leads. I got to an MDiv. An MDiv. So, yeah. so that's the pastoral route, right? That's yeah. the uh, clergy route. Yeah. Um, and even with that amount of education. So how long was your MDiv? How long did uh, it take? I started in 2000 six ended in 2009 i think at the time it is 90 credits so it is it yeah, is actually 
yeah, it's 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 broader based than even the um, the masters. Now the masters are more focused. I think they were like 30, 32 credits, but they're focused very strictly in theology or something along the lines. Whereas the the pastoral degree deals with also uh, you know history and a, a broad. It's more like a broad spectrum rather than being deep. But we right. deal with a lot of different things. So right. everything from counseling to biblical hermeneutics and preaching. Right, right. But the the, the thing is, um, is that you spent uh, seven years of your life studying religion. Yeah. Um, one would think that you have a pretty good understanding of what religious obligations you're committed to and that kind of thing. And you applied for this exemption, this religious exemption. Yeah. And it was denied. Okay, yeah. so what what happened after that? Well, the process was that on the initial hearing with the head of the institution, which is the warden, with respects to my uh, my religious accommodation or my religious uh, accommodation request, what mm -hmm. happens first is first I was interviewed by my immediate supervisor and another. Uh, officer a federal public servant and i'm not sure what department they were with per se but they were mm -hmm. both interviewing me about my faith so they were asking more questions because i had already submitted a form so i submitted right. the form i said my piece on the form i said my reasons why then i was uh interviewed again with my immediate supervisor and this other federal public servant then all of that in January of 2022, then I had the hearing with the warden who immediately, nearly immediately denied my, my claim. Uh, for, did, did he give a reason or she give a reason or? Uh, yeah, basically in essence, if I, if I read my, uh, my response, my written response was that uh, basically my religious beliefs are not, uh, they don't fall within a, they don't, they don't trigger a uh an a, on the employer a need for them to accommodate my beliefs what was the criteria they were looking for well i was never I, I was never told what criteria that would be in fact i was told specifically i would not be told what the criteria are so in other words you had to pass a test <laughs> of which the bar is unknown that is absolutely amazing yeah um and so, you know yeah. So first of all, um, you know, one of the basic understandings when it comes to the law, um, especially when we're dealing with administrative decision making, which this is, in other words, administrative decision making are made by government actors um, of which the warden would be and and so on because they're representing government they are the bureaucrats in other words they're the ones who where the rubber meets the road as far as government yeah. policy yeah and it's extremely important um in the practice of law and administrative law that uh, there's to be due process and due process is okay what is it uh you are being uh, you know, normally, what is it you're being accused of? Like, what what's the case you have to meet? What yep. what are the criteria? Make sure that you've got an impartial tribunal uh, that's going to make a decision that you're given proper notice. That all all of those kinds of things. Exactly. We call it there's procedural justice, but there's also this 
that this notion that uh, you are able to come and be able to speak to what it is, what the criteria is that you need to meet. And uh, because otherwise you're going in blind. It's just. Um, and that was it. That was that's exactly it. Went in completely hmm. blind. There was no no metric that was written out to say this and this and this would meet this criteria there's mm. nothing it's purely subjective wow. of course i was told that it's in consultation with C agents of cbsa and agents of this part of the government because they wanted to all be consistent well they were consistently mysterious <laughs> and probably and, consistently saying no yeah that's that's exactly what i think was going on Okay, then, so were were there other people who uh, at this particular moment? Because we'll follow through the chronology uh -huh. to, to go with your experience. But at that particular moment, did you were there other people getting uh, religious ex exemptions or requesting it and receiving exemptions that you're aware of? I I I, I was not aware of anyone in my institution that had made any of those uh, requests, uh, and I was not aware of anyone that actually got one either. Okay. So it was so uh, so you you may have been a little bit of a um uh, an outlier in your institution more than likely yeah. yeah which which is also reason historically um just so that you know there there there's this concept in law known as the slippery slope argument the idea is that if well you know if we if we allow this then that means there's going to be a whole floodgate you know the floodgate mm -hmm. argument slippery slope you're going to fall down the hill because there'll be a whole bunch more people that are going to want to do the same thing uh, that you did. In other words, they'll claim right. to be religious when they're really not religious. However, a guy who's done seven years of religion and theological training and pastoral ministry training seems to fit a bill that maybe it, you'd be an outlier even in that respect. Well, you'd, you'd think that that would, <clears throat> that my commitment to the study of of religious things, specifically of the Bible, as a as a Christian, a Protestant Christian, and and that the fact that I'm that I'm a Protestant actually did come up somewhat because uh, I was asked several times, well, what does your church believe? And I and I had to I had to remind them I'm a I'm a Protestant. We are we do not have popes. We do not have men over our conscience, unlike. Catholicism, which have men over your conscience. And so you cannot, and it, so, so to me, the whole process was people who are religiously illiterate, I'll put it gently, who were religiously mm -hmm. illiterate, were judging my religious literacy, my religious convictions, my religious scruples, my religious knowledge, my religious commitment. And these people knew nothing but yet they somehow felt adequate to be able to judge me in that particular situation, uh, which I find insulting, to be honest with you. Now, I'm not saying that you have to have a PhD in order to have conviction. That's not what mm -hmm. I'm saying. Mm -hmm. You can be a layman. And in a sense, I am a layman because, you know, I have the degrees, but I'm not actively working in a, in a church per se. Right. But, you can come to the same conclusion by your own study and conviction of scripture. Well, in fact, that's, 
indeed part of the whole Protestant uh, ethic, right? Or the um, philosophical position, theological yeah. position, right? We're all yeah. uh, priesthood of believers, as they say. Okay, so now here's the interesting thing, uh, because I, I've talked to a lot of Catholics as well. Um, and, you know, of course, within their faith, of course, they also have uh, a very strong religious, uh, conscientious convictions on things. Sure. Um, and um, and there, and that there's a huge debate uh, even within that uh, community mm-hmm. ab- about you know this whole this whole thing. But I could imagine. It, so so here's the thing. Um, what I find puzzling um, that uh, th- I, I I've seen this like throughout all of the cases where government is asking individuals, "What does your church?" say yeah and that i find troubling uh for the very reason that you mentioned uh with respect to this understanding of um of of your own religious uh you know philosophical background based on protestantism i.e it's the individual yeah but in the law itself very very uh, uh, famous case out of Quebec known as the Amsalom case uh, made it very clear that the Supreme Court of Canada said, look, it matters not, and in that case it was dealing with the Jewish community. It mm-hmm. said, look, it, it doesn't matter what the rabbi says. Right. The, the question is, what does this person, where, what is the religious conviction of this person who's the subject of this case? What what are their convictions and that's what the charter protects yeah um and and so uh, so it's very troubling when we've seen this throughout the uh entire government the federal government provincial governments we're now seeing it in the universities uh right now is a big debate as the universities are gearing up for the students to come back and in the province of Ontario, the University of, which is uh, one of my alma mater, is uh, mm-hmm. uh, the, the used to be known as University of Western Ontario, now known as Western University, is now requiring full masks and um, triple vax. In other words, yeah. you, know, you got to have your booster and so forth in order for the students to go on campus. Yeah. And um, but uh, what I have seen with the universities, they'll always ask, okay, so what does your church say? And the, and the human rights legislation, the human rights jurisprudence, mm-hmm. in other words, decisions made by the judges over the years, have always had it, that it is not what the church says, is what the individual is convicted on. Yeah, and, and this, is, this is something that, that is the problem, is that government is looking at religion as if religion acts like the government. Right. (laughs) So they're interpreting religious conviction through the lens of government in which you do what they say. Mm. But this is not how it works within the Protestant ethic. Mm -hmm. And it just goes to show you, I think, how much the Protestant ethic and the Protestant understanding has actually been eroded in Canadian society at large mm-hmm. and uh, in, in the government at large, that they are very unsympathetic to that idea. Yeah, well, and, and, and I guess it goes to the, um, it also goes to, um, is like you said, it's, it's a lack of awareness, no question mm-hmm. about it. Um, 
and a and a lack of empathy. I yes. guess is the word oh, very I was much so. For. That's exactly what I went through. A lack of empathy, I would say. Yeah, a- absolute lack of empathy, and um, um, and and I might add as well for for those of you who are uh, watching this program, but even within the Enlightenment, um, you know the. The, the Enlightenment in, any, in, in many ways uh, came as a result or came at the end of uh, a philosophical tradition after the Protestant Reformation. And we had, we had this, um, this whole idea, you know, the emphasis on science and trying to get to the truth of things and all of that and avoid all superstition. But, but we, we also developed during that time, which was highly influenced still by religion. And a lot of people forget that. But if you look at a lot of the Enlightenment thinkers, mm-hmm. uh, including Voltaire, who was very critical of religion, but was nevertheless himself quite religious, as was, uh, you know, Sir Isaac Newton and all the rest, yeah. uh, the scientists. Um but there was this this concept of individual freedom, like freedom of speech, mm-hmm. was extremely important. Milton's uh, beautiful work on 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 that is is still worth reading, and so so we we we've got we're living in a system of government, a system of um, political and social society that's been highly influenced by our religious past. Yeah. But uh, we have the, all of these institutions, and yet those who are operating institutions have no knowledge of that, nor do they understand individuals who are still committed to these principles of freedom of speech, uh, freedom of conscience, inviolability of the person, and so forth. And uh, so that's very important. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I'm going off on a rant on a few of these things, but, but, but I've been really poisoned. Yeah with a lot of this misinformation, which is a, a term that's gotten a lot of play recently, and yeah. disinformation. And here we get it in our own government, and yet they're trying to be the arbiters of information, and they're now the arbiters of what's going to be an accepted, accepted uh, religious exemption or religious uh, yeah. uh, reason to be exempted. Okay, so let's go back to your story, Marco. Sure. Sure. So what happened after uh, my initial uh, request was denied from the warden, then it went to a grievance. So then there's mm-hmm. a grievance process that that goes through. So while I am um, under section, I think it's section 11, which is checkoff. So I'm technically working in a, in a union environment, mm-hmm. but I myself have my union dues diverted to a charitable organization. And uh, so, but even then, the the union is technically the sole arbiter or the sole, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Anyways, the person that would speak on my behalf, okay. so to speak. Right, right. right. Because they, they are seized with your case because yeah. you're, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, so they actually were, were pretty good. They were actually supportive of, uh, of my stance. And uh, they went to bat for me and went through the grievance process with me. So there was an initial grievance and that went to my immediate supervisor, which was denied. And then a second level grievance, which goes to the warden who denied the original, which of course was denied. And now it's gone up to another level of which I haven't heard back yet. And I think, and I'm not sure exactly what's going on. And this process has taken time. 
and at and at each one of these processes. So this was these were not so much interviews as they were interrogations of my faith and, and practice. Okay, so, so so okay, so let's let's have a look at that because I think the public needs to be educated as to what people uh, with uh, religious convictions have had to face. When you say interrogated, what kind of questions are, are they asking you? Well, what they're asking very much, uh, I would say, you know, if you want to put it this way, intimate religious questions like, why do you believe this way? What do you have to back that up? Um, what about other people who believe differently? Uh, what makes your belief uh, necessarily necessary? Um, you know, uh, th things of that nature. And your question at the core of your being, in a sense, because as a Christian, as a Protestant Christian, Jesus Christ is why I'm here. So you're questioning my commitment to Christ. And it, it comes off as an interrogation. It's not an opportunity, like a normal opportunity to witness. Someone asks you, hey, why do you believe in Jesus? And you could say, oh, well, I believe in Jesus because of this and this and this. And it's, you know. Right, this right. Is, but this I, is I like, mean. We, we, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but we would recognize, of course, that when you're in an adversarial uh, process, yeah. there would be this uh, energy towards uh, asking questions. I guess the, the, the thing that uh, gets me is, is that historically, and, and I've written a lot about this, um, is that we would normally, as long as you were sincerely committed to the belief you would be accommodated that's historically how it's been exactly but, but but this is going deeper than that so oh yeah carry on so so in essence you know you are being challenged on a on a very intimate and fundamental level of your of your being because our being is connected with worshiping god and if we have an issue with something that we believe can disrupt, disconnect, change, alter, or uh, pervert or injure our worship of God, we have to take that very seriously as Christians. Because mm -hmm. worship of God is life. We derive life from God. That is, that is who gives us this life. That is who gives us knowledge and wisdom and understanding. That is who gives us food and shelter and clothing. And, uh, you know... We do not live apart from God. The, the, the modern society is very mechanistic. It believes that, um, you know, all this stuff runs on its own. It does not. You don't run on your own. I don't. Nothing runs on its own. If God stopped ceasing, if God if he stopped um, sustaining us, it would simply fall apart immediately. Mm. And, and that's the thing with faith. And that's the thing with the thing with our life and walk with God is that it is a constant drawing from him. And as we uh, if there's something that interrupts that we are in religious peril, we are in spiritual peril, which is worse than physical peril. Mm. You and, know? and, you know, it's interesting you should say that because throughout history um, and, and even going on today, we've got situations where. Uh, individuals are being persecuted in other countries even today, and they mm -hmm. would rather die than to violate their religious conviction. And, and you know, that was the great learning of the Protestant uh, experience. Um, and it, it was a recognition that everyone had 
fundamental original freedoms that didn't yeah. come from the state, uh, but in actuality, the philosophical and moral understanding was that those rights came from God or came from the higher being, as it were. Uh, but, but we have lost that. And, um, and that's why it seems more and more difficult for people of faith uh, to be able to have their consciences accommodated. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I would, I would definitely say so. I'd echo that that thought. Uh, in this particular situation, mm -hmm. the I felt that the government, the government agents, approached faith in a very mechanistic kind of way, and 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 really with a without much sympathy for it at all. Mm -hmm. And that that was the issue. There was no there was no real sympathy. No attempt to in, to engage beyond kind of an adversarial. Uh, process and uh, I was not there was nothing done to accommodate me at all like you couldn't work from home you couldn't well maybe do this or that the only accommodation that was was allowed was to be uh, if I recall correctly I would be allowed to go back to work I would be tested every uh, th three times a week and then at the end of the fourth week if I still did not receive my my vaccination my COVID vaccination uh, then I would still be put on leave without pay. That's not an accommodation. And mm. the reality of the situation is that the government has tried to coerce people at the end of a needle. It hasn't used a gun. It's used a needle. And it has attempted to starve people into submission. And that, to me, is a, is a heinous human rights issue mm -hmm. and, and, and crime. And it, not only that, but it is, is an, it is an affront to God. It is an affront to God. It, it's, it, it is an affront to God, and I would suggest it's an affront to our historical and common, up until now, yeah. understanding of basic human rights. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, uh, a lot of people make fun, I've heard, <laughs> uh, people making fun of the Nuremberg Code. Um, the point is, of that whole code was that as a result of what happened in World War II, that surely, surely no human being is to be forced or coerced or harassed into a medical procedure that they do not agree with. Yeah. And one would have thought that given the experiences of the 20th century, that we would never, ever have to face that again. And yet, here we are. Well, you know, humans are notoriously uh, short-sighted. We also have a very short memory. Mm. Uh, you know, we don't learn well from history, and history teaches that we don't learn well from history. Mm. We often repeat it. And uh, to be honest, in this whole situation, if you ever wanted to know what side of the Third Reich you would fall under? Well, now you know. Mm. Now you know. And you that's, know. A, that, that's a very sobering thought. That's exactly the point. Mm. That's exactly the point. Because in that, in Germany at that time, what were they doing? They were doing those experiments on people. They were forcing people into horrendous, uh, you know, experiments, medical experiments. And, and here we are again. And it's not perceived in the same way because it looks so sanitized 
Satan is intelligent. He's not going to do the same thing twice because he knows we're up to that last bit of foolishness. But now he's going to put it in a nicer bow and, you know, make it at a nicer. It's going to taste nicer. It's going to smell nicer. It's in a new packaging. And it fools most people. Most people don't get it. They still get fooled. But the well, reality is, is that it's still the same thing. It's the, the spirit and the essence remains. And that is what people have not seen. Uh, okay. So now this is interesting because the, and, and this is why for those of you who are watching, who are, you know, you don't uh, believe in God, you don't believe in any of this uh, 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 religious stuff as they, uh, as you might say, but, but the point is, is this, look at the spirit of the thing. Um, it is, I, I, I go back often to, um, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the great uh, Russian dissident. And uh, he talks about the situation where he got very angry at one of the guards uh, who was beating another inmate. And, and, and he wanted to kill that guy. I mean, he, he was wanting. To, but then he realized that the hatred he had in his heart was also the same hatred that the guard had in his heart towards that fellow inmate. And, and it was a realization that the line between good and evil runs through every single human heart. And I think, you know, uh, you, you hear other public commentators like um, Jordan Peterson and others who, who, who make references to the biblical stories that we have uh, because they do have meaning in our culture and they have continued to be our anchor, as it were, with respect to more, it gave us our moral compass, in other right. words. Right. And and so the 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 uh, the spirit of coercion, um, you know, uh, is is a spirit that has been assigned in the biblical literature uh, to the figure known as Satan or the yeah. devil, and um, uh, whether. Whether you believe in that or not, the point of the matter is we're able to see the spirit between good and evil all around us. And, um, and so, uh, Marco, as you're, as, you're, as you're talking about this, and, and you mentioned the spirit, and, and, and that, that to me is, is extremely important. And the other thing about evil is that, and we've seen this, uh, it's it's a common human experience that mm -hmm. evil is often wrapped up as a good, um, and uh, and so one has to be very discerning, right? Absolutely. Uh, and, and that's that's where I think um, we here in Canada have taken a very benign approach towards government, like it's. I, I, I was in a meeting the other night with, uh, or in a discussion, an interview with, um, with a Romanian uh, fellow who came over to Canada and, 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 and he was mentioning to me and, and folks, you'll be able to see it on the other uh, podcast. And I encourage you to, to look it up. It's a, a podcast in my interview with Dr. Emmanuel Baston and who is a physician in Romania and wasn't able to practice here in Canada, but is now very much involved in the uh, construction industry. Uh, but anyhow, he points out how different the mindset in Romania to the mindset here in Canada. And in Romania was the idea that 
um, they didn't believe the government. No one believed the government. Right. And most of the people who worked in government didn't believe in the government. Yeah. And uh, here in Canada, everyone believes what yeah. the government says. Yeah. And and not having that sense of op or loyal opposition, in other words, uh, you've got to hold people to account. We have lost that tradition in Canada. And I think, if anything, what we've experienced, it seems to me we have to wake up to that opposition. We cannot accept uh, government at face value anymore. Yeah, certainly. And I think perhaps uh, part of that initial trust that we have in government is because much early on, you know, our government was influenced by that Protestant ethic. And so there was some, um, some of that benign influence. And, uh, and as it has progressed, however, you know, as Revelation 13 says, the lamb horned beast will speak like a dragon. There is a, a turn. There is a spirit that profuses throughout government that eventually becomes very evil and very oppressive and very wicked. And as Christians of all people, we should be the most aware, the most awake and the most prepared to withstand those types of movements of government. Now, I'm not talking about revolution. I'm not talking about violence uh, because, you know, people like to put those words in, in the mouths of others claiming that certain groups are violent revolutionaries or that type of thing. But there is a point where we need to be able to stand against the evils that are happening in the government. And I feel, I feel that for me, this is definitely that moment. It was that moment where I, I have an excellent record. I have no, uh, no histories of discipline in my, in my work. I work well with people. You can ask all of my coworkers. I work well with nearly 99.9% .9 of them. And the ones I don't, I, I don't get along or agree with too well, I still work well with them anyway. Uh, I am, I'm just appalled. I'm appalled that, that this situation has happened. And my work, even, even my, my, just my day-to-day -day work seemed to have meant nothing. You know, at the beginning of the whole COVID thing, oh, you know, you're a first responder, you're a hero, you're a this, that, and the other thing. But as soon as a certain date happened and you didn't get a certain injection, well, now you're treated like a disease. Your, 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 your very religious scruples are questioned. Your own health has to be sacrificed for everyone else's feeling of safety. You are now nothing. You are now nothing. And all the hard work, all of the the things that I've done to distinguish myself as a as a proper public servant, doing good work, filling out that paperwork, putting those records away, you know, contacting the contractor, everything that I did that was right, now that means nothing. And that's a stab at people. I don't think people really don't understand. To those who have taken the the injections and they say, oh, it's just the this, that, it's just a shot, take it. Did you understand how those who have not wanted to take it have been treated? The the it's really, it's really criminal. It's been hard. I have to admit, it's been it's been incredibly stressful. Incredibly stressful. It's been very hard. It's it's financially devastating. It's only by God's grace 
that my wife and I were able to weather it. And part of the reason we were able to weather it is because we saw in 2020 what was coming. We knew really? it was coming. And, uh, and knew, so, so, was so coming. you prepared by saving extra money kind of thing? Yeah, we, we, okay. put, we put things aside to help us to prepare. As the Bible says, the prudent man sees the evil and he hides himself. Mm. But the foolish goes on and is punished. And so that rang in my ears in 2020. And it's like, we need to get ready. Not only ready uh, physically, we need to get ready spiritually, mentally, and emotionally, because this is going to be a battle. And we don't know when this is going to end. We don't know. In Canada, these things have been paused. The vaccine mandates have been paused. I am nearly, if I was a betting man, I'm not, because I'm not going to gamble. But if I was to put a bet down, I would say that I'm sure within, I don't know, a few weeks, the government may announce vaccine mandates are going to have to come back because, I don't know, cases are going to be coming back up or some new disease is coming at us or something. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's going to happen. But what is fascinating um, as we go through uh, this experience, this COVID experience, is that many there are all kinds of voices out there uh, that are, how can I say, that are quite sensational uh, with respect to um, to all of these theological positions and and right. and all of that. But there's also other um, groups uh, that have uh, suddenly uh, have come up, and and it, it seems to me that that what's what's happened is that Canada has lost its its bearings. It has lost its moral framework. It has lost its national narrative. Um, even the narrative that is within the anthem, uh, the Canadian anthem, um, you know, God keep our land glorious and free. Just, yeah. just, just the, the, the narrative that we've all experienced uh, in the past. And if you read Canadian history and, and all of uh, the discussions, we knew that, for example, that Toronto was Toronto the good. <laughs> um, and so, so with all of this to say, uh, when I was up at the truckers convoy, for example, mm -hmm. there was uh, um, an African Canadian preacher that was there preaching on the side of the street and he had a big crowd gathered around them. And right. by the way, uh, for those of you who have been um, convinced by mainstream media that, you know, the trucker uh, convoy was a horrible event and it was, uh, you know, very violent and all of that. Let me tell you, that is not what I experienced when I was up there. It was very much a carnival, almost like a winter lewd festival that Ottawa used to have pre-COVID times. But I remember the preacher. He was preaching about uh, Lazarus, who was raised from the dead. And right. in the Bible, there's a story of uh, Jesus who befriended uh, Mary and Martha. And they were sisters to Lazarus. And they called Jesus and wanted him to come. But he said, no, he's, he, he kind of... Uh, delayed it a bit. He delayed, yeah. He delayed it. And then he ended up coming. And when he came, Lazarus was already dead. Mm -hmm. And in scripture, it says that Jesus called Lazarus forth, you know, Lazarus, rise up. Yeah. 
And the African American, uh, African Canadian uh, preacher uh, was saying it's time for Canada to rise up, as it were, uh, and to recognize what is going on in the country. Yeah. And I thought, you know, as I'm there listening to him, and and, and it's within the context of the trucker convoy, um, this this idea of moving towards coercion, as government has been has did, as with the um, vaccine mandate, it, here was this preacher calling on the people of Canada to hey, take a look around, see what's happening here. Is this the kind of Canada we want to live in? One of the things that I've often been really concerned with is that we are all gathered on this one piece of real estate we call Canada. Yeah. And we need to try to figure it out how we can live together. Because right now, what's happening is just creating huge amounts of division. And, um, and so people like yourself, Marco, is suffering as a result of this loss of the Canadian narrative, the loss of this moral compass. And um, and as a result, you have to pay for it. So so where where is you, you say the case now is uh, before a tribunal? Well, yeah. So what happens what's happened so far is that uh, as far as a grievance is, is concerned, uh, because the mandates are, are suspended right now, people can technically go back to work. Um, so now what's going on? What last thing I was told is that the the union is seeking for damages for those that have experienced things like myself. Okay. I've also contacted and, and put in a human rights violation claim with the human rights uh, tribunal. Okay. Uh, and, 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 and I haven't heard anything back okay. from them. So it's, it's, they're taking quite a long time to, uh, to take up the case. Um, I haven't heard anything I, I last emailed them just uh, last week to say what's you know what's any updates, any movements, and I haven't heard back at all. Mm. So I don't know what's going on there. Uh, so that's where that's where things lie. People think right now, okay, it's summer, we can walk around. Oh, this thing's over. It's not over by a long shot. Mm. It is not over, and it's not over for me. It's not over for me until I see justice. Or Jesus coming. It's one of the two. This yeah. this 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 is something that will last me forever. I have I have learned uh, I have learned who who can be trusted and who cannot. I have mm -hmm. learned who who is on your side and who isn't. And that uh, will quickly the, the the support that you have on the one hand can quickly disappear as soon as a type of coercive spirit comes into your life like this and it's it is hard to take it's hard to take it's not easy but by god's grace you know that's that's the whole point as christians by god's grace we know we are in living in a world of sin we know that we're living in a world uh whose central power is a demon you know the central power of the earth of this world is a demon yes god rules but he does not rule yet fully here though he can overrule events uh, for for the good of his people and the righteousness of his cause and his name. But yet we are subject here to these movements and uh, and we we are going to suffer some things and they're not going to be that are going to be not, not pleasant at all.
but at the same time, I have seen the deliverance of God. God prepared myself and my wife. And I, and I thank God for my wife. She was by my side the whole time. She was with me the whole time. Uh, even to the point, you know, it, it's not just it's not just the vaccine mandate. It's being tested as well. Testing is, as I understand, testing is the tip of the COVID spear. If you stop testing, the whole thing disappears. The whole house of cards falls apart. It's part of that narrative. It upholds it. And once you deal with that, because because testing is completely irrelevant. If you have to happen to have a particle of a virus, it doesn't mean you're sick. It only means you have a particle of a virus. My understanding is that the human body contains, on average, about three to five pounds worth of bacteria, fungus, and viruses. Well, if the presence of any one of those things means you're ill, well, then we're all sick. We should all be dead. Somehow we're not. And so it, it, it's, it's an affront. This whole system is an affront on a scientific basis, on a moral basis, on a spiritual basis. It's a complete affront to any form of reason and reasonableness. It, it, it makes us believe in absurdities. And if we begin to believe in absurdities, we commit atrocities. Hmm. And that is the problem. Yeah, it's, um, you know, there's a huge debate going on right now in society that we're all engaged in, and we we have to use our our own intuition and faculty of reason to be able to discern what is right, what is wrong with respect to this. And of course, it takes a lot of energy, as you as you mentioned, right? I mean, yeah. It, it takes a lot of study, a lot of, a lot of personal. Um... It, it does. It does. It takes it takes personal study. It takes personal energy. It takes um, a kind of um, doggedness in searching mm. for what is right, because you really have to wade through a mass of things. So there, there are there basically there's there's no there's very little middle ground in what you believe in this issue. Mm-hmm. You either support it or you don't. You have facts that say to one side or the other. And you have to go down this road and you have to choose a side. Mm. And we have to be careful as Christians because the track the track of lies lies close to the track of truth. Mm. Well, that makes that makes a lie even more powerful when it is close. And, to and, and I'm not saying it's not a powerful lie. This has been a powerful lie. Mm. This has been a powerful lie. As we can see the results, we can see the, the results of how many people believe the lie or if they even if they don't believe it, they go along with it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and like Luther said, it is neither. Uh, it is neither safe. Nor right. I, I think I'm paraphrasing a little bit what he said. Mm-hmm. to uh, to go against one's conscience mm-hmm. and uh, that's that's one thing i couldn't do in this situation this was a moment for me that was that's it and it it, like, it, it became a, a hill to die on as it were thankfully i didn't die on it but yeah. <laughs> yes in, in in essence yes because right. i know and it it seems like a small thing to people mm-hmm. but the bible shows us that God often does not test us with big things. 
He tests us with small things. What is apparently a small thing. It's just this is a path to hell, to put it to put it bluntly. It's just put put your thing in that in that slot. It's just this. It's just this. It's just this. And finally you find yourself just on the path to destruction. Mm. You know? That mentality, and that's that's part of the narrative, the, the very pro-COVID narrative, if I'm going to put it that way. It's just a shot. What do you mean it's just a shot? Do you know what that means, what that entails? What is in that shot? What are the particles of the shot? What are the long-term results of taking the shot? What happens if you take more than one shot? You know, it, they don't make this, they don't take it from A to B. They just say, oh, it's just a shot. As if it's just drinking a glass of water. Well, to some people, drinking a glass of water can kill them. So, you know, and I and I made the point. I made the point that let's say the government decided to say everyone in Canada has to take a low dose aspirin every day. Low dose, low dose aspirin. Well, that might be okay for ninety percent of the population, but you're going to kill people. And you're going to injure people just doing that. And to think that this shot is not going to have some ramification. And it's, it's, as if, it's as if this thing is magic. People, It's completely safe and completely effective. It's a miracle, in fact. It's a miracle that this shot has been, it's, it's been, uh, you know, it's so miraculous that you will never be hurt by this. There's no cognition that is happening. There's no thinking about in, in the Canadian public about this could possibly be dangerous, just like any other type of drug, just like any other type of medical procedure. Suddenly with this, there are no risks. Mm. And then people are castigated for taking something that obviously doesn't have any risks. Why are you, why are you not taking this thing that doesn't have any risk? Where are you stupid? Mm. No, it's not because I'm stupid It's because I know that anything has risks and it's up to me to accept the risk or not. And in Canada and in many other countries, you are told to accept a medical risk on behalf of someone else. Mm. Insanity. What kind of, that's not practicing medicine. That's practicing religion. Isn't that interesting? Um, you know what? I was going to end the program, but I'm not going to end the program right now. Cause you just opened up something that, Okay, you've studied religion, obviously, for a long time. Yeah. What are the aspects of this COVID experience that you see as being religious? Because I tell you, I had a, I had a friend uh, say to me the other day that he said, I feel like in many ways, um, those who have been accepting the, the narrative, the COVID narrative, that they that it is religious for them so can you unpack that for me what does that mean to you sure so from the way that i the way that i see it having studied religion the forms of religion and how religion operates is that religion has just about any religion has set laws taboos rituals and those that are in authority with respects to those laws, rituals, and taboos. So what we have is the very same thing, and they cannot be questioned. And that's that's the other thing for most religions. 
they cannot be questioned. Unlike the Bible, in which God says himself, let us reason together. So God invites investigation. So Protestant ethic invites investigation. But you will find that that is not the case in most other religious systems. Most other religious systems are very authoritarian. And we find a connection here in the COVID narrative that those who don't take a medical procedure are now evil. They're evil. They don't care about your grandmother. Uh, they're out to kill you uh, just by being, just by refusing to take this life-saving medication. Some what they say. They are doggedly persistent in expressing their faith. If you don't show reverence for the face mask, you are castigated for being a breaker of the law. Yet there's no real reason to wear such a thing on your face. It cannot, it cannot prevent you from getting anything at all. And of course, many people debate that. And, but that's right. We're not going to but, debate it here, but we're looking but at religion. A, yep. Right. So the religious aspect of that is the fervency and the vehemence with which people will will enforce not just their own conviction, but their conviction on you. Hmm. You know, it is a it is a rabid form of conviction. It, it is in fact people must conform to this new social norm. So it's ostracization. Yeah, ostracized. And you're financially penalized. You you can be you can be ostracized within your family. You can be you can be uh, denied medical. It forces people into a one way only ideology, and it is highly emotive. It hits your emotions. It hits your cognitive ability. It hits your your actions, and that is a form of religion. It it, it espouses, and it has its own special high priests. The experts, the blessed experts, Fauci uh, or Anthony, the science Fauci, as he as he referred to himself and in, in, in castigate or, or in disagreeing with him, you're dis, you're disagreeing with science. You're disagreeing with the whole realm of science. If you disagree with him, he's like a pope. It's this is so so religious. It's it has every mark of a religion. And uh, and you know what? I want to give people their religious freedom. If you want to believe in this religion, by all means, I would not stop you. I would, I would like to enter into dialogue with those who believe this religion. But they will not give me the same courtesy. Well, and, and, and I guess here's why it becomes so uh, powerful, as it were. Because on the one hand, you got the... If, if I take what you say, that there's a religious fervor, oh, yeah. uh, which I will have to admit that looks like an awful lot of religious fervor. And this religious fervor is going to save you. In other words, if you take this medicine, if you take this vaccine, it's going to save you. Um, then we must do everything we can to save you. Yeah. And this is the thing. They have in this religion, it has a very definite uh, definition of sin. Okay, it has mm -hmm. a definition of sin, and sin is not taking the shot, not wearing the item of clothing on your face, not acting 
in a certain way. And if you break these laws, which are immutable, you are now a pariah. You do not belong to the group anymore. And the group is able to castigate you, say all kinds of evil things against you, prevent you from having a job and entering into any kind of social contract whatsoever. You are now socially outcast and anyone, <clears throat> anyone has the authority to do that to you. So can you imagine you're with your doctor and your doctor is telling you, well, okay, you're suffering from this and I'm going to prescribe this. And Justin Trudeau walks into the office and says, I want you to prescribe this as well. This is essentially what has happened. And not only can he do that, but every Joe Blow off the street can come into that office and say, hey, you're not wearing that thing. You haven't taken this injection. You need to do that right now. Suddenly, people have the power to enforce this religious dogma because you've broken these sinful laws they have that power and it's it's incredible to see what has happened this is absolutely as far as i'm concerned and this is a a competing religion i am a seventh Adventist. i am a protestant i have my religious convictions and belief others are free to have their religious convictions and belief i welcome that but you should not be allowed to focus and or to force that religious conviction and belief even under the name of science, so-called. Because it's just an excuse. They've just slapped the word science on it, and now suddenly, oh, people have to accept it. Science yeah. can be a religion, too. Yeah. It's interesting because, um, you know, I've read a lot of uh, discussions about science. I've, most of my education has been in law and political science, uh, by by the way, I did do some religion way back in my undergrad, but um, the the fact is is that from my reading of science uh, of scientists and more of a biographical, um, yes, I've taken some courses, but but it's always been that there's always been big debates in science. Sure, <laughs> I mean uh, many different schools of science, and uh, there there has always been this struggle back and forth but but i think in the modern times science has become hijacked it seems to me by money interests and and in yeah. particular i'm thinking of uh back in the 60s 70s there, there was a big debate about about fat and sugar right. and whether or not uh sugar is the culprit or um or fat is the culprit uh, when it comes to, um, you know, heart disease and so forth. Diabetes, and other... things of that nature. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, so what what happened is, is that uh, the big money interest in sugar would, would pay for the scientists, the physicians, the people doing studies. Uh, and lo and behold, their studies said, well, you know, it's not sugar, it's fat. And I yeah. remember uh, studying how there was... Um, a scientist in Britain, in Great Britain, where where he, through his scientific studies, found, and he, of course, not being paid by uh, the sugar in industry, um, came and said, "Well, no, it's uh, you know, it's it's sugar. Sugar is a big a big concern, and we need to be very mindful of sugar uh, for people's health." And he was castigated. He was yeah. he was the pariah, and he 
passed away without vindication. And yeah. since his death, he, of course, has been vindicated. And, and it just strikes me that in many ways uh, it is the the influence of money that's come into science that's creating this thing. And of course, we also saw that even in historical religion, right? Like yeah. when, when power and money comes into play, all religious groups have been known to be uh, corrupted in, in one way or another. And that's what we seem to be having now. Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, humans are humans, whether they're religious or not. And in a sense, you know, we all have a common humanity and common failures as a mm. species, as a race. And part of it is our short-sightedness. Part of it is our, you know, our ability to fall under greed mm -hmm. and avarice. And these things cloud. The, these are the devil's tools, so to speak, to cloud truth, where, whether it's found in science or religion. Mm-hmm. You know, because truth is truth. Truth is truth, the God of truth. And if it is true, then it's true. Then that's it. But that idea that something can be true apart from, you know, your truth, my truth, the personal idea of truth is what's happening now. And yet, yet at the same time, there is this, this narrative in which um, yeah. scientists are now the official voice of the world, an official voice of of every aspect of life and mm. nothing outside of science really has matters well you know can you measure uh can you measure love in a beaker can you can you show me compassion uh you know by taking out the microscope there, there's there's aspects of human life and experience that go beyond the material mm. and and i think that our society as as canadians we have lost again where God fits in that, where faith fits in that. And this has allowed science to be hijacked. Science is a tool. It's like a fork. You know, saying I believe in science is saying like, like I believe in forks. I don't believe in forks. I use forks. You know, it is a tool by which we can use to interpret the world around us. Uh, and And yet people here are taking that tool and making it into a faith and i think it has it has definitely spilled over into the covid narrative that science in some ways is being is deified scientism the belief in science the belief that science has all the answers the belief mm -hmm. that science can can delve into all mysteries you know has definitely dovetailed into why people are so willing to listen to so-called experts and throw their mind and their will right out the window. And, and, I, and I have to say this too, is that it doesn't take a scientific degree to understand what's right in this situation. It doesn't take a, a theological degree. You know, we can ask simple questions. You, you mentioned before about the Canadian idea of how much we trust the government. Well, let's, let's be honest here. When the government was willing to offer, as some did, uh, million-dollar lotteries for for school, for, for scholarships. They're willing to offer million-dollar scholarships as a lottery if you take a shot. Uh, some establishments, big businesses, is willing to give you free pizza, free donuts, free beer, free, free food, free whatever, free tickets to something. If you take a shot, begin to ask the question, at what point has this 
ever happened. And that should start ringing bells of alarm in your mind. It just takes scruples. It just takes basic scruples to understand that there is something amiss here. There's something wrong and it needs to be investigated. But even that to the general public seems to have just gone right out the window. The basic ability to question motive of why suddenly something is being done in a certain way. And again, it's a type of it's a type of religion that has just swept over the minds. It's 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 all the rage. It's all the rage. And but I think I think in like I said before, that God has allowed this for a reason. He has allowed this for people to understand where they're at. He has allowed this to show people what is the true nature of our reality, where we're actually heading, what God is actually warning us about in scripture is coming to pass. It is a it is a flare. It is a warning flare. This has been a warning flare. And for some of us, it's still ongoing, but it, it is a warning flare for us to become religiously, mentally and spiritually prepared for what is about to come on this earth. You know, because we are dealing in Canada, not only with with these you know COVID mandates, but we're dealing with you know, possible food shortages. And, and there's many other things that are that are dovetailing together into a an event. You know, the Bible says men's hearts failing them for fear of the things coming upon the earth. That's people dropping dead from heart attacks. They're so afraid. I mean, strangely enough, people have been dropping dead of heart attacks for fear of a disease for which they take a took a cure or a preventative, which it seems to be causing some of those heart attacks. You know, so there's lots of things happening right mm. now in Canada. Yeah, and and literally around the world. Yeah. And um, Marco, I want to thank you so much uh, for your time, which has been very generous. I appreciate it, and I appreciate what you've had to share uh, in your experience and I hope things uh, work out for you. Um, the experience that I have seen so far has not been all that positive. Mm -hmm. However, I did come across some court cases over the last uh, couple of weeks uh, where judges are now asking some very serious questions. Oh, thank uh, you. One judge um, recently stated here in the province of Ontario, basically like since when have we not been allowed to ask questions yeah. and um and it's so great uh, it, it actually makes uh uh my little bit of hair stand up straight uh because of excitement because of the fact that yes we are now starting to see some brave judges uh begin to say hey what's yeah. going on here and uh, I think as time goes on, as we see the ongoing debates, and one of the things we have seen in science, I mentioned it earlier, is the fact that we've always had this uh, ongoing debates. One, one scientific community has yeah. one opinion, one has the other. But now we got government choosing one opinion yeah. and then, then running with it. And so that's why we're in the mess we're in, it seems to me. Is there any final word that you would like to share with us? Yeah. I would like to say this throughout this whole experience, though it has been incredibly difficult trying, uh, it has been very stressful. I want to say that God has brought me through it. 
God has brought me and my wife through it. God will continue to bring me through it. And I know that he is faithful that promised. And if all the Christians, I just want to give you hope. If you're in the same situation or, or in a sudden another situation, but in a similar vein, I want you to know that God is listening. He cares and he will be by your side and he will help you. Great. I want to thank you so much for being here with us. Oh, you're very welcome. God bless. And I want to thank you, our listeners and viewers who have been with us over this uh, last hour or so as we've been uh, discussing about uh, the experience of Marco and his family uh, with respect to the vaccine mandate and how difficult it has been and the struggle that he's been gone through, but yet his faith is holding him firm. Now, you may not agree with what Marco has shared. You may not agree with what I share from time to time, and that's okay, because here uh, at First Freedoms, we are wanting to encourage open, transparent, and honest dialogue. That means we allow our guests to be able to speak their minds and to be able to share their thoughts. And I thank you, for listening and being part of this conversation. And until next time, I'm Barry Bussey. The fight for freedom consists not only in the legal battles in court, but also in the battle of ideas at the universities and in the media. It takes time, effort, and money to keep on top of the debates for freedom. Your donation allows us to keep fighting for all Canadians by giving at firstfreedoms.ca.